Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Amen. Has anyone here heard of the evangelist named Ray Comfort? Who here has heard of Ray Comfort before? Anybody heard? All the older people. <laughs> You're not older, babe. You're not older, okay? <laughs> but, you know, back there. So. All right, so... I, that shouldn't have been a surprise response, I guess. Well, Ray Comfort is a, a guy, he's an evangelist. I guess when was his big, like, 90s, 80s? Okay, early 2000s, okay. And, and so he would go around trying to, to spread the gospel and win people for Jesus, and his strategy would be to begin by going through the Ten Commandments. And he would basically go through all the Ten Commandments and say, have you ever stolen before? Have you ever you know, told a lie, and he'd go through, and his whole strategy was to, was to help the people see that they had a sin problem, that they had, in fact, violated all of the commandments of God. And his hope was that if they recognized that they had a sin problem, then he could give them the solution of, of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, let me all ask you a question for you to consider. If Ray Comfort approached you, assuming that you knew who he was, but, you know, <laughs> let's just say he approaches you. And if he starts, you know, quizzing you on the Ten Commandments, then you'll probably know this might be Ray Comfort. But if he did and he got to the Sixth Commandment of you shall not murder or kill, would you have the mindset or the belief that you have violated that commandment? Now, some of you you'll say yes. Some of you, well, I'm not sure. Some of you know I've never killed anyone. Well, keeping that question in mind, we're going to revisit this question by the end of tonight's message. But with that in mind and kind of setting the stage with that question for you to consider, let's now begin studying the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And let's begin by looking at the text. So if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. And as you're going to see, this is not a very long verse. But Deuteronomy 5, verse 17, and it says, You shall not murder. That's my translation, New American Standard Bible, 95. And if you look in the majority of the English translations that are out today, this is how the commandment is typically translated. However, is anybody using a King James Version here? Okay, a few hands pop up. Okay, so the King James Version is the, is the one that I know of that translates the last word of this verse as kill and not murder. Now, I bring that up because I want to take a few moments to define what exactly this last word means, and then from that, 
okay, what, what is the meaning of this sixth commandment at its face value? What does it mean you shall not murder or you shall not kill? So let's consider this and consider this last word translated murder in the New American Standard or kill in the King James. And let's go to a slide that will highlight this word. So the word in the Hebrew is this word, ritzak, and they're the, the ways you could, some of the ways you could translate it, kill, murder, strike down, slay. And if you were to look at this word throughout the Hebrew Bible and how it is used, you would find that this word can refer to many types of killing, many types of killing. Uh, for example, it could refer to premeditated murder. It could refer to even manslaughter or accidental killing. It can refer, there's a place in Proverbs where it mentions a guy, I think he's the slugger, that says, oh, if I go out, I'm going to get killed by a lion. Same word that is here. So it could refer to death by an animal. It could also refer to capital punishment or execution. And so when we consider all of the types of killing this word refers to, I'm going to say this, if I'm being honest and based on my study, I would actually prefer the translation of the King James Version in this particular verse. Because I think by just translating it simply as kill, it allows for the broad range of meaning that this word could communicate. Now, of course, it does incorporate murder, so that, that is part of the, the killing in mind. But it is a little bit broader if we are only looking at the word by itself. So, with this in mind, then, this leads to the question, well, okay, what does this commandment mean? Is this then, if this, if this word kind of refers to all types of killing in the broad sense, then is this commandment telling us then we, that we can never kill for any reason or any time? Is that the meaning of the commandment? And we could even ask, well, you know, it doesn't say you shall not kill humans, just says you should not kill. So then you could ask, well, does that mean that we can't kill animals too, right? So, so this is a fair question that comes up if we're just looking at the word by itself and the commandment by itself. And so what we have to do in order to answer this question is we would need to go beyond the definition of a single word, and that's what I want you to see, that we have to go beyond the definition of a single word and consider the topic of killing in the Bible as a whole. Now, obviously, we don't have time to do a you know, Genesis to Revelation study on the topic of killing. And so let me just distill it all down into two categories, two categories of killing that I think are, are simple to understand and that will help us understand what this commandment is commanding, the sixth commandment. And the two types of killing that we could, that we could list as categories is number one, sanctioned killing or killing that is ordered or permitted by God. And then number two, unsanctioned killing or killing that is either forbidden or not permitted by God. These are the two ways in which we can think of killing in the Bible. Now, thinking of the sanctioned killing, and I have another slide to list what are examples of sanctioned killing. 
Well, capital punishment for certain crimes and sins are, is an example of sanctioned killing in the Bible. If you were to study, uh, study, the, Bible, study the, the broader biblical text, Another one is killing in justified war. You see that in the Bible as well, that that can be a sanctioned form of killing at times. Also, you have killing to prevent the unlawful taking of life. So if I see a a criminal that is trying to kill an innocent person, then the Bible, I, I believe, gives allowance for the killing or taking of life in the defense of that person or even yourself and your own family at times. Now, I say unlawful because if the police are coming to serve an arrest warrant, you know, let's say a criminal were to say, oh, well, they're coming to take me away for a murder charge, so I'm going to now kill them before they kill me. No, 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 that's not how it works. It's unlawful killing, unlawful taking of life that I believe the Bible gives the permission to kill in the defense of life in those circumstances. And then another category we could just list for the sake of completion the killing of animals for food, sacrifice, or the protection of life as well. Now, I mentioned that last one because, believe it or not, if you were to do a deeper study on killing, I think an argument can be made that from Scripture, even though you can kill animals for food, to protect life, even for sacrifice, if it's to the one true God in in that system at that time, it does not allow for the killing or abusing of animals for any reason or at any time or for, or for pleasure. In fact, the Bible actually says that the righteous person has regard for the life of their animals. And we're not going to go there, but Proverbs 12 verse 10 is the reference that I, just, that I just referred to. So even the killing of animals can be brought into this discussion. But of course, as I, as I mentioned on the list, that there is the sanctioned killing of animals for food sacrifice and the protection of life. All right, well, let's now look at unsanctioned killing. And I should, I should just say for, well, maybe let me, before we go through the list of unsanctioned killing, I should say this, that assuming God does not contradict himself, which we believe he does not, then when we consider all of those previous types of sanctioned killing, then what we can say about the Sixth Commandment is that the Sixth Commandment is forbidding the unsanctioned killing of another human being. That at its core, at least at its surface, that is the idea. So it's not forbidding all forms of killing or all types of killing. It is forbidding unsanctioned, non-permitted killing. So let's now look at that un- examples of unsanctioned killing in the Bible. So the first example would be intentional or premeditated murder. And this one might be the obvious one, but of course this is included in the list. The second one would also be the unintentional killing by accident or what is known as manslaughter. Now, because it's unintentional, I should say that this type of killing was handled differently than intentional or premeditated murder in Scripture. For example, if somebody unintentionally killed somebody based on accident, they would not be executed for that. They, they, they would not face the death penalty, but there would still be some consequences. And without going too much into the details, 
They would have to go to a sanctuary city. There were six of them in Israel um, when they became a nation. And that manslayer, as they're called in the Bible, the person who committed manslaughter, unintentional killing, they would have to live in that sanctuary city for the entire lifetime of the high priest who was in charge at that time. So it's kind of like a house arrest, but think of it on the city level. They would have to stay there, and if they left before the high priest died, then they would face the death penalty. So there still was a consequence, and I think we understand that by the, the sense that even if it's unintentional, it's still unsanctioned, and therefore God is trying to show the people of Israel there are still consequences to, to this, even though, yeah, it's unintentional, therefore they're not going to be executed like a murderer who did it intentionally. The third type of unsanctioned killing is unintentional killing caused by willful negligence. So this is a little bit different than the accident form of unintentional killing. And what I mean by willful negligence, it would be like somebody who knows that if they're driving 130 miles down the the highway, that if they get into an accident, they're going to kill somebody. Because if you hit somebody 130 miles per hour, somebody's dying in that accident. So if that person is, or let's say drinking and driving, driving under the influence of anything, and they were to kill somebody, well, according to the biblical standards, they would be subject to the death penalty because they were doing something they knew they shouldn't have done, and it resulted in the loss of life. There's another example in the Bible. um, It gives an example of if somebody has an animal, like an ox or some kind of animal that is an aggressive animal in the habit of attacking people, and that person is warned, hey, your cow likes to try to gore people, so you better do something about it. Well, if the person said, ah, I don't care, I'm just still going to let him do whatever he wants to do, and now he's been warned and that ox, that cow goes and actually gores somebody to death, that person would be subject to the death penalty because they didn't take the necessary steps to protect life. So these are the forms of non-sanctioned or unsanctioned killing. So again, just to reemphasize, at its surface, the sixth commandment is forbidding a person from causing or contributing to any killing that is not sanctioned by God. Now, as we continue this evening, I do want to show you that there is even more to this commandment, that it does go deeper, and we are going to study this at a deeper level. But before we do that, I think we need to address a question that will set us up for that deeper study of the commandment. And here's the question to consider. Why is unsanctioned killing wrong? Why is it a sin? Think about that for a moment, and let me give you some potential answers. Some might say, well, it's because it inflicts pain. That's why it's wrong. Well, then the problem with that is, okay, well, then if you sedate a person or numb them to pain, then is it okay to kill them? No. So, okay, pain is not the issue. Somebody else might say, well, it's because it takes away a loved one from friends and family. That's why it's wrong. Okay, but what if a person doesn't have friends or family? What if no one knows who they are? They're just sitting there on the side of the street. No one knows who they are. Is it okay to kill that person? Well, no. So it's not an issue of taking them away from loved ones or family members. Somebody else might say from a more, you could say a colder, more uh, 
utility perspective, well, it's wrong because you're taking away a productive member of society. So they're just thinking about it in economic terms. And that's why killing is wrong. Well, then you have the issue, well, what if they are not yet a productive member of the society, like a young child? Or what if they're no longer a productive member of the society, like a much older person who requires assisted living? Is it okay to kill them? No, so it's not an issue of taking away a, a productive member of society. So then why is it wrong to kill? Well, to arrive at the answer, let me ask another question that should help us arrive at the answer. Who is the creator and giver of life? God, right? The triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, if God is the creator and giver of life, then who owns the right to determine when it is okay to take life? God. That's right. God owns all life. He's the creator of it. He's the giver of it. And therefore, the power over life and death only rightfully belongs to the Lord. Now, can he delegate that power to a king or to an executioner? Yeah, yeah, he can, or to a soldier. Yeah, he can delegate that, but it belongs to him. And so really, it all goes back to God and our respect of his authority. In this case, his authority over life and death. And thinking of authority, this is probably, I would just put this out there, this is probably one reason why the command to honor your mother and father comes before the commandment against killing. Because even the commandment against killing goes to an authority issue. Do we respect God's authority over life and death? So with this in mind, I want to take us to one supporting passage of Scripture that supports what I've just been talking about, and that is in Genesis 9, verses 5 to 7. So turn with me to Genesis 9, verse 5 to 7. Now, Genesis 9 is a passage with a lot of overlap with Genesis 1 to 2, but of course we don't have time to draw out all of the connections. But let's read this and then I'll, I'll highlight what I do want you to, to take away from this passage. So Genesis 9, starting in verse 5, it says, and here the Lord says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother I will require the life of man. And here, this is the explanation of what he's saying. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly, and multiply in it. So reading this, here's the important thing to understand about this passage here in Genesis 9. According to this passage, it is clearly, well, we could say that this passage clearly defines what we could call the sanctity of human life or the preciousness of human life. It gives us the reason why killing, unsanctioned killing, is wrong. And the reason 
it is wrong to kill a person without God's permission is because mankind was made in the image of God. And if you've heard me teach on the image of God before, you might, write, you might remember that to be made in the image of God means you are a representative of God. You are a representative of God. Mankind was created to rule over the world in the place of God like a son to a father in the family business, so to speak. And so this is the reason why it is wrong to kill somebody because mankind was made in the image of God. Therefore, God owns the life of all men and animals too. In fact, God demonstrates his ownership of life in this passage by instituting the death penalty for unsanctioned killing. And that is what is happening also in this passage. He says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. And that included the animals. If an animal killed a man, the animal was to be put to death. If a man intentionally killed another man, they were to be put to death. And it's like God is saying, if any person or animal takes the life of one of my image bearers, then I will take their life. Blood for blood is the idea. So again, unsanctioned killing is wrong because it takes what belongs to God. An unsanctioned killer is taking God's power of life and death into their own hands. And if they do that, then they will not remain unpunished. And if they're not punished in this life, they will certainly be punished in the next. All people must respect the image of God and all that it means and implies. This is the heart of the issue behind killing. Now, with this understanding, this foundational understanding of the sixth commandment, we can now pivot to a deeper study of the commandment itself, getting down to its core principles and really the essence of this commandment. And so we're going to do that now. We're going to pivot and we're going to look at the heart of the sixth commandment. And part of this is going to involve measuring this commandment against our own lives as we uncover the deeper principle at play. So let's look at the heart of the sixth commandment. And the way we're going to do that, as we've been doing, is we're going to first look at the correlating section in the book of Deuteronomy that correlates to the commandment. And as you see, as you see, the correlating section in Deuteronomy for this commandment is Deuteronomy 19, starting in verse 1, and going to Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. That is the section. Now, I'm not going to outline the whole section. What we're going to do tonight and what we're going to do for the remainder of our time is we're going to look at three specific laws in this section, three specific laws, and we're going to use them as a case study to better understand the sixth commandment. So we're going to look, the, the first case law that we're going to look at is in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. You'll turn there in your Bible. And I will read it to you all. And then we'll look at it. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. All right, now here's what I expect you all to be thinking. 
at least this would be normal, is, wait a second, you said that this section correlates with these commandments, so what does this commandment have to do with the sixth commandment? How does transgender activity, and that's what's being described here, how does that have anything to do or any relationship to the command that you shall not kill? Well, let's break this down. And let me start with this in order to bring, bring us to our answer. Is if you think back to Genesis 9, which we just read, we established that unsanctioned killing was sinful and wrong because it violates the image of God. Because all human beings are made in the image of God, and to kill an image bearer of God is to sin against God. We established that a few moments ago. Well, now turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. And we are going to look at two verses, verses 27 and 28. And as we read this, it's going to start to be, well, hopefully it's going to start to become clear the, where the association is. But I'm also going to explain this as well. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 27, it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what we see in this passage, and what I want you to see, is that the distinction of male and female is a central aspect to the image-bearing of mankind. In other words, for mankind to function and serve as image-bearers of God, there needs to be a distinction between male and female. And if you think about it for a moment, without the two genders and their distinctions, Mankind cannot multiply and fill the earth. That's part of being an image bearer of God, To As he says, he blesses them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. If you can't have babies, how does that happen? So that's one aspect of it. Also, if you were to go further into this topic, men and women being created with unique distinctions, these distinctions complement one another. God designed it that way where women bring something to man and man brings something to women that the same gender cannot provide. They complement each other and God created them to complement one another and really to help one another fulfill their role as God's image bearers. This is part of the design of God. And so bringing this back to this transgender activity the reason that transgender activity is associated with the sixth commandment is because transgender activity is designed to eliminate or confuse the distinction between men and women. It's blurring the line. It's, it's inverting what God intended to create. Therefore, we can say that transgender activity is a direct attack on the image of God which also murder is as well. And to illustrate this, I'm going to walk you through a thought exercise or something to consider. There's a very interesting contradiction 
within the transgender movement. And that is this, that if, if you hear anything from the movement or, or what is popularly uh, put out there, they will say that a person's gender is based on how one feels and identifies, independent of any biological characteristics or cultural characteristics. So in other words, they would say that if you feel like a woman, then you're a woman. That's at the core of their, of their, of their, their teaching. And I've kind of briefly mentioned this, but they will also say that all biological sex characteristics or features are independent of gender. They want to divide the two. So gender is distinct from your body. And again, they, they, they would say that if you feel like a woman, then you're a woman. If you feel like a man, you're a man. And that's all that is required to define a woman or a man is how you feel, how you identify. But here's what's the interesting contradiction. If they really believe that, that a woman is a woman because a person feels like a woman, then why do they advocate for changing biological sex characteristics through surgery and hormones? Why do they try to change that? The trans movement won't tell you, and that is that it is not a movement that wants to promote either gender. It's not a movement about promoting gender. It's a movement that wants to destroy gender by mutilating bodies and destroying the chance for people to have children of their own. That's really what's at the heart of it. And the real person who's behind it, it's not any person, it is Satan himself. He's the real person behind this movement. And let me kind of try to give you insight into his perspective, since it says of Satan in the Bible that he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, who hates mankind and is an adversary to God's people. Here's his perspective. And this will be a little graphic. I'll try to keep the, the terms general. But from Satan's perspective, if a woman surgically removes her top, then, well, from his perspective, she'll never be able to nurse a baby. And if then she goes even further and has a hysterectomy where they remove the, the uterus and all of the organs for childbearing, well then from his perspective, she'll never have a baby. She'll never even birth a baby. Or if you turn to men, if men surgically remove all of you know what, I won't say the terms, well then from his perspective, okay, that man now will never father a child. It's over for him. Never be a father. If both men and women undergo cross-hormone therapy, then from Satan's perspective, they may develop serious medical conditions or even cancer. And that actually happens when you undergo cross-hormone therapy. It's a very dangerous medical program. If you even call it medical, it's kind of a, kind of a contradiction of itself. But chemical program, we'll just call it that, chemical program that has some very serious side effects. But Satan doesn't care because if a human being destroys their body, destroys their health, prevents themselves, ruins their opportunity for ever having children, then Satan has accomplished his goal of attacking the image of God and preventing mankind from fulfilling their role as God's image bearers. 
At the end of the day, from Satan's perspective, the promotion and acceptance of the trans movement is an act of destruction on the image of God. And so with this, I hope now we're starting to see this connection between the transgender activity and murder. And let me just say, before we move to our next, our next case law, that if somebody were to disagree with the conclusion I'm drawing out, and certainly there may be, you know, well, certainly in the broader culture there would be a lot of disagreement. And here, here would be my challenge to anyone that would disagree, would be to find a transgender activist who is also against abortion at the same time. And I guarantee you, you won't find it. Why? Because the issues are connected. It's about murder at the end of the day. And so that's my challenge. Hey, if somebody can find a transgender activist who is promoting everything that we just talked about and they're also against abortion, okay, I'll be surprised and, and maybe do some reconsideration. But like I said, I don't think it's going to happen because it's the same issue at the end of the day. All right, let's move to case law number two. Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 to 4. So we're going to be in the same chapter tonight, and we're going to move through these last two more quickly than what we just did. But case law number two, which is Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 to 4. It says, You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them, you shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. If your countryman is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it. Then you shall restore it to him. Thus you shall do with his donkey, and you shall do the same with his garment, and you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen, which he has lost and you have found you are not allowed to neglect them. You shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down on the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. All right, so here's another one that might be confusing at first glance. What does the safekeeping and restoring of lost property have to do with the command to not kill? Well, to find the answer, let me ask you this. If you were the one who lost something valuable, would you want somebody to do this for you? Everyone would say yes. If you lost your dog, or if you're a farmer and one of your animals, it's a lot of money, part of your livelihood, you lose an animal, or you, know, you lost a car, we use our modern, you know, modern day, if you would want somebody to do this for you. And so what's the principle behind this specific law? Well, the principle, and this is the answer, how it connects, if you truly value and respect all people as image bearers of God, then you will treat all people like you would want to be treated. And that's what this specific law is teaching. You are to do to others what you would want done to yourself which includes the safekeeping and restoring of lost property. Again, going back to the image-bearing of God, do we respect people? Do we 
love people as image bearers of God. If we do, then we're going to treat them like we would want to be treated. All right, case law number three, down in verse eight. Here's our final case law for the evening. Deuteronomy 22, verse eight, it says this, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof. This is like a ledge that would go around the roof so that you will not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls from it. All right, so what can we learn about or we'll learn from this specific law, and what can it teach us about the Sixth Commandment? Well, let me give you a little bit of context. So in the ancient Middle East, the way that they designed their houses, the roof, and even it's still true to this day, the, the roofs would be a, a, kind of like a common room in the house. So they, they would go up and sleep on the roof during the summer months. That actually still happens in the Middle East because not everybody has air conditioning. And so if it's the summer, you're going to want to sleep on the roof instead of in the hot house. So that, they would do that not only today, but back then. They would have meals on the roof of the house because it would be a flat roof. And, uh, and they would hang out on top uh, of the house. Well, what this commandment is requiring the Israelites to do is if they had a roof like this, they were required to build a ledge, like a railing, think of it that way, around their roof to prevent people from falling over. And if you think about it for a moment, who would be the most likely type of people or the type of people to most likely fall off the roof in this type of house? Toddlers, young children, right? Hopefully you don't think that toddlers are dumb, you know, so, but no, no, I'm teasing, but, but no, I mean, young, yeah, or, you know, you could have, you know, somebody that is mentally challenged or, or something and, um, you know, or, or has a legitimate disability, and by mentally challenged, of course, I'm talking about 16-year-old teenagers that are roughhousing and playing crazy games, and then they fall off the roof, right? So not talking about people with legitimate disabilities, even though I guess, do our, teen, do our 16-year-old boys have legitimate disabilities? The jury's out for that. I don't know. But uh, hey, you know, when I was 16, I had some disabilities too, in that figure, uh, figuratively speaking. So, but no. People could fall off. And, and the whole idea, becoming, getting back to, to more serious principles, if you had a roof like this, you needed to take the necessary measures to protect life, and even if it cost a little extra money and a little extra time. In our own time and, and day, it would be like if you had a pool, putting a fence around the pool, especially if you know that toddlers or, or vulnerable people could potentially fall into that pool, or perhaps even animals would be included in that. That would be the, the, a, a modern application of, of this commandment. And so what does this commandment teach us about the Sixth Commandment, or this law teach us about the Sixth Commandment? What it teaches us is that the Sixth Commandment is not just about the taking of life or the killing of life, but it is also about the preserving and promotion of life. It's not enough to just say, well, I haven't killed anyone. You also need to live in a way where you are protecting and promoting life. So taking all this, we come to our conclusion now, last two minutes, taking all of these case studies together, this is what we can say about the sixth commandment and really what is the heart or the core 
of the sixth commandment, and it is this. The sixth commandment is about loving life and respecting the image of God. Not only does it forbid unsanctioned killing, but it also requires us to honor and uphold the distinctions between men and women, treat others like we would want to be treated as image bearers of God, and then to take measures to protect and promote life. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.